You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Zat Baraka. Zat is a unique and highly sought-after teacher, coach, and speaker in the men's personal and spiritual growth movement. He has a radical approach that empowers men to live high-performance lives, improving the quality of their sex lives, relationships, and parenting through cutting-edge self-improvement. His clients become the leaders, lovers, warriors, and visionaries they desire to be, and his trainings empower his clients to demolish old unhealthy programming and encourage them to push through their growth to their edge. He is somebody that leads by example and has a wealth of education and experience that was a real pleasure to dive into on this call. For example, he's got over 25 years of personal and spiritual growth with an emphasis on conscious sexuality and relationship and emotional mastery training. He has over 14 years of tantric Buddhist training multiple certifications in various practices of yoga. He has completed the Spiritual Psychology Master's Program at the University of Santa Monica and has over 20 years of intensive men's group work, cathartic therapy, men's rites of passage, and men's personal development. So to say that he is qualified is, uh, to, at the very least, he's extremely qualified is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and it's a real pleasure to have him on the program. So with that, why don't we dive into the call? Here I am with Zat Baraka. All right, I'm here with Zat Baraka. Zat, thank you so much for joining me today. Excited to have you. Glad to be here, Peter. Yeah, I, uh, you, you know, I've interviewed several men in this space who are helping men get their heads screwed on straight, and uh, you're another one. And it's so interesting to talk to so many different men who have different experiences, different approaches, different uh, energies and styles and whatnot. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about your experience because you have a very um, Eastern philosophy uh, and a lot of the traveling that you've done and the training that you've done. I'm very excited to to dive into that a little bit. But for those who are not familiar with who you are and kind of what you do, if you could just give us the, the quick overview of um, what you're here on this planet to do and how mm. you're well, first thing is, um, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I am here to uh, evolve myself. That's like, mm. you know, that's the first thing. Uh, that's, you know, not getting wrapped up in, in, the, in the who I am. Um, I am, uh, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy on the path who, who's been dedicated to the work for quite a while now. Um, I, I always um, had a spiritual... Uh, I'll say affinity from when I was young. And so I, I got in pretty early into the work. Um, and um, yeah, I've just tried a lot of different things over the years. Um, and uh, you know, starting with spiritual work, meditation, um, and uh, then getting into men's work around 25 plus years ago and going in pretty deep into that, into that world, that intensive work. Um, and um then going really heavily back into spiritual work, living in a, in a crazy wisdom. Uh, we would call it a crazy wisdom ashram, uh, a, a tantric <laughs> ashram or ta tantric practitioner's house. We, we might call it a house full of yogis. And, and then I took up for, formal training in the Tibetan lineage with my teacher uh, about 20 years ago now. Um, and then have been, you know, full on kind of, in both of those worlds, doing men's work, doing the really deep inner work, which incorporates, you know, a lot of different things, a lot of different pieces from embodiment work, shower work, trauma work, 
um, you know, emotional mastery work, which are also kind of, um, they're, they're part of the Buddhist path, but, you know, doing them in, in, in a different way, you know, with my own, with my own structure and my own, um, through my own lens. So that's been my path, you know, traditional Tibetan Buddhist practice, and then, uh, and then men's work, um, relational intimacy work, you know, doing relationship work, intimacy work. Right. And, um, yeah. All right. So why, why did you get into the men's group? Why did you go down that path specifically? Uh, yeah. And that's because I was an idiot. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is got married young, didn't know anything. All my, all my stuff came up, you know, when I was like 21 years old and uh, was in that marriage and suffered a lot, had all my, you know, terrible habits and, uh, and, um, unhealthy relationship and a friend said you got to do you got to man you got to do this men's work and I said well, what what is that and um, mm. so I just jumped in into some men's work and it had a profound effect um, and just continued on now I you know at some point I left necessarily men's work and just started doing general personal growth <clears throat> spiritual growth work uh, and it just doesn't have the same power as being in very structured, um, effective men's work. So I'm not just going to say any men's work necessarily, but, you know, effective, powerful men's work. And mm -hmm. so I see that with, you know, over all the years I've been doing the work, I mean, guys really excel when they're in a space with other guys uh, where there's, you know, there has to be good facilitation. There has to be, um, you know, some form of, of depth that's happening, deep work. It's not just guys sitting around talking about how they feel. I mean, that's good too, but um, if we're talking about really uh, affecting change, you know, my, my perspective is, you know, it's a training ground. It's like going in the dojo, you know, you, you practice, you, right. you go deep and you um, do, do difficult things, but those difficult things affect change. What do you, so, when you say, when you say men's work, define that, for, for my audience and also yeah. just for me too, because everybody's a little bit different on how they approach it. Yeah. That. So, so I call it men's deep inner work. So it's um, whether you're talking about doing something online, because I have online programs or whether you're talking about an in-person uh, ongoing men's group or, or a workshop or an intensive or a retreat, um, you know, obviously there's different things that are happening in, in each different environment, whether online you're going to do different stuff than in person, obviously. But when, I'm when you're talking, when I'm talking about men's work, I'm talking about um, uh, doing deep inner work, like addressing your kind of your core issues, addressing the way that you see the world, the way that you say, the way that you see yourself, all of your um, habituations and your behaviors, your imprints, your habits, your wounds, your issues, your traumas, um, your relational habits, um, also getting a re-education or reorientation to the word masculinity or what it means to be a man, kind of obliterating all those and, and re-understanding and reorienting yourself from a place of practice. And so men's work is really, I call it deep inner work because you're really addressing your deep internal stuff that affects well, it affects everything, right? It affects how you perceive the world, how you perceive yourself, your your capacity to to excel in relationship, in business, and finance, in your in how you um, 
relate to the world, your intimacy with life, how you experience life. So all of that is addressed when you're doing deep internal work. Mm-hmm. Um, for the, uh, for you went to India and you studied uh, over there and there's a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, hard to pronounce words on your website that I would love to know what they mean and what they are oh. and how that applies to all the men's work. What is it that you gained out of that? Like what are some of the big um, tenets that you pulled out of your experience over there and just the Buddhist practice and um, mm. the spiritual practice that you did over there. That's maybe different wow. than what we might know here in the Western world. Wow. That's a big question. Um, one of the pieces is um, having an orientation to, to the work, having a frame or a context to the work um, a spiritual context to the work, right? And so for guys that don't necessarily connect with that word, or I, I have a client right now that doesn't, that's not even in his vernacular. He doesn't really know what being spiritual is. He doesn't know what that is. He doesn't really use that, those words. He doesn't consider himself spiritual. And so maybe we can just start with, with that, like how, build, building a spiritual foundation. Um, and so when we're talking about building a spiritual foundation, uh, we're talking about um, addressing the questions that make us a spiritual being. Th- those questions that are, are, are a spiritual context. Questions like, who am I? What am I here for? What am I here to do? Why am I here on this planet? Why was I born? Um, you know, asking those deeper questions. Those are really uh, questions from a spiritual context Mm -hmm. and then the other piece around spirituality is intimacy Um, if we look at a a lot of men and you know i've done i've done some different talks on this um, men are afraid to kind of own their spirituality right because when you're talking about spirituality you're talking about having an intimacy with something and men are not trained to be intimate Mm-hmm. intimacy with self intimacy with nature i mean the disconnection from nature disconnection from, from ourself is why the world's on fire essentially without intimacy you you don't ha- you don't have an underlying foundation to to relate to things and to feel things and to sense things sure i'm not saying you can't be a good human being without without that that context but when you do have that context um i love the 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 great Zen teacher who, uh, um, Roshi, I forgot his name, but the simple quote is, um, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. So having an intimate connection to all things. And of course, the most important place to start is with ourself, having intimacy with ourself. And that's such a weird foreign concept to most guys particular, right? I mean, women are relational beings. They're, um, they're emotional beings, right? I'm talking in broad generalities now, but sure. um, even if we look at how our, our brains are formed, the male brain is different than the female brain. I mean, mm-hmm. biologically, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference. There's a great book called The Male Brain. Um, and she also wrote a, a follow-up called the, the Female Brain. And our brains are different. Our aggression centers are different. How, how we perceive reality is, is different based on our, our brain biology. And so um, having a spiritual context is really, really important because without that, we're, we're kind of just, we don't have some, we don't have 
um, a deeper connection to something. Uh, we don't have a um, something that gives us a, a resource, you know, to be able to source from within ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of different language around this. People who are not spiritual, even athletes or people who are, uh, you know, great mindset coaches, they use different language, but it really mm -hmm. is, it's the same thing. And so having yeah. the ability to resource from it from within, uh, I mean, what do you do in meditation? You're, you're moving into, you're lowering your brain waves. You're lowering your, your, um, you're increasing your capacity to concentrate. You're connecting inward. You're quieting the mind. I mean, this is also a spiritual orientation. So at the very foundation of what I learned, um, it was to have a spiritual context for how to relate to life. Hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, that seems to be lost a little bit. Uh, very generally speaking in the Western world, or at least in America, it seems like that there's, um, we, we've sort of strayed away from spiritual context. We're, we're so enamored, it seems like, from the outside looking in, if, you know, if I could say so, that it's, we're very, you know, seduced by fame, material things, money, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it, without that, without spiritual context to keep us um, grounded, it seems very yeah. uh you can get lost in that you can get well you get lost in that you get lost in the filters through how you see the world mm -hmm. and so the spiritual context is the pull back from from your filters and and you know one of the foundations in buddhist practice is uh, to be able to question your own mind mm -hmm. to be able to work with what's called you know the constant mind stream of what's happening your projection in the world of what you think is happening and through through practice whether it's through meditation or other spiritual practice um, you're able to pull back from that and de-identify with who you think you are which we, if we put into kind of neuroscience terms we could call it you know our beliefs how our beliefs are imprinted in our subconscious mm -hmm. that's how we view the world and so um for example in, in deep, in men's deep work, one of the things we do is shadow work. So I don't know if you're familiar with shadow work. I, I'm familiar with it, but I know a lot of people may not um, be. So let's explain real quick what that, where it's that comes a, from. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal, it's a powerful, and we're, we're doing shadow work in, in our online men's group right now. Um, little plug, this is our seventh, our seventh year doing new masculine program, which is an online men's group. We have men from all over the world uh, that are, you know, with us for on the seven week process, but right now we're doing shadow work. And so we're looking at those parts of ourselves that remain hidden, unseen, repressed, ignored, or avoided. And so uh, our shadow is the thing that affects how we perceive reality. So as an example, let's say um, you were a guy who was raised by, as an example, a single mother, maybe you didn't have a father. And so you were a rough and tumble boy and you you wanted to play rough with the, with, with your other guys in the neighborhood, but your mother was very much like, no, you're not going to go out. You're not going to ride your bike. It's too dangerous. Go practice piano. I just want you to practice piano. And then you're going to practice your, you know, your painting or something. Mm -hmm. So in essence, I'm drawing a picture of like a boy that was raised in a more feminine style. Mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so we might say that those kind of more masculine traits, those more directive masculine traits were maybe, repressed in him his mother said no you're not that's too dangerous and so he kind of put those away in the shadow so to speak and so now that becomes a shadow so when he gets older now um 
he's not fully expressed maybe in his powerful, we could say in his powerful expression there. Shoot. As a man, or we could say in his, did you lose me? I lost you, yeah. yeah. I lost you, but you're back. Bummer, bummer, bummer. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think we can keep rolling. So, um, okay. you, so you lost, yeah, go ahead. So yeah, where, where did I lose you? Um, so uh, you're talking about an, a, a boy who grew up in a feminine household who had traditional sort of masculine traits. Uh, he's now an, an adult. And he sort of has this repressed energy because it's not fully expressed. Right. So the idea of, of in shadow and, and Robert Bly uses the metaphor of the long bag we drag behind us, which is when we're born whole and beautiful as a child, and then we're conditioned by our parents, our family, society, our siblings, our friends, we put parts of ourselves away because we're told, shut up, don't do that. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. And so we want to be accepted. We want to be loved, right? So we put parts of ourselves away to be accepted. Um, and so then when we get older, those parts are, are put away. And so then what happens is shadow becomes projection. So for the example of the boy who is more masculine, directive, uh, you know, rough and tumble aspect of himself was told that wasn't okay when he was young. Maybe mm -hmm. he was punished or he was put down. Now later in life, when he maybe sees that in another man, let's say he walks into a room and there's a big, tall, good looking, powerful man commanding attention from people. What happens is our internal pain around that, we project it outward. This is what classic projection is in psychology. So we project our pain, our inner pain outward. Oh, look at that asshole over there. Look at that big mouth guy. He thinks he's so hot, right? So that's projection. Mm -hmm. And so in deep, in, in, in men's work, in this kind of deep inner work, we see how we're projecting onto the world our inner pain, and we kind of take ownership back of that. And we look at, okay, what is it that has me projecting that outward? What has me in such ju judgment of others or of myself? We see this a lot with guys who may have nice guy syndrome, right? They think they're weak or they think they're not man enough. They think they're, you know, they'll have all these harsh self-judgments. And so the idea in men's work and shadow work is to kind of take those parts back, own those darker aspects of ourselves that we don't want to see, uh, we don't want to relate to. And all of a sudden you have a guy who's been in this super people pleaser, nice guy habit that now is like, oh, wow, I can play with these more darker aspects of myself within the group, within the container or the, the space of men's work. And all of a sudden, there's a freedom there. It's like, oh, I'm so tired of fucking hiding this, you know? Yeah. And then when he goes out into the world and when he goes back to be with his woman, who's already been, com been complaining that he's not decisive enough, that he doesn't take action enough, that he cowers and plays small when he's around other men. All of a sudden, he's had a place to practice outside of that normal small range that he plays in. And there's a feeling of like, oh, a little bit of freedom, a little bit yeah. of liberation right and so just the last piece around this one way that i could point to this in terms of buddhist practice is this idea of our demons our inner demons and so in buddhist practice we don't ignore demons we don't try to squash demons we don't ignore our inner demons we actually um we embrace them you know we relate to them there's a relationship that happens with our inner demons because what you don't own owns you what you ignore affects how you 
perceive life, how you perceive reality. And so it's so liberating, whichever context you're holding, um, either, you know, whether I'm talking about the Buddhist demon aspect or the, the, the Western Jungian, which is shadow is a Jungian term. And, and would those be uh, fairly synonymous? I would say no, they're not. Uh, but I, I like to use both context in the work, you know, befriending our demon. There's some radical practices in the Buddhist path where we actually uh, feed our demon the thing that we're most afraid of. Huh. So we, so for example, if a man's really, really afraid to show up powerfully because he wants, he doesn't want to rock the boat. He's a people pleaser. He's a nice guy. He doesn't want to come off as being an asshole or being pushy. And so what is the greatest fear that that man may have as an example? The greatest fear he may have is, you know, being perceived as of screwing up as being a screw up or being wrong or saying something stupid. You actually allow yourself to to feel that stupidness, to feel wrong, to make that mistake. And you satiate your demons by saying, okay. And you kind of surrender that to the demons in a way. Mm, mm. Now, this is done through very specific traditional practices, but what it's really pointing to is the kind of the liberating power of doing deep inner work and revealing what most men at all costs want to keep hidden uh, and protected and, you know, they don't want to see any of this. They don't want, because there's such a great fear. Uh, and this is what we call kind of living in our comfort zone. We'd rather live in our sort of repetitive habitual patterns because that's what we know. Right. 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 Um, you were over there for how long? Well, yeah. I spent, I spent a few months a year in India for many years. And uh, most of my training though was, with my teacher here in, in America and being in a practitioner, I lived in a practitioner house, you know, where we were up at uh, four 30 every morning doing, you know, two and a half hours of practice, evening practice. Uh, and when it you wasn't, say practice, what, what do you mean? So many different types of practices. So Buddhist, different Buddhist practices, whether it's meditation, breath practices, and also kind of out of the box practices, you know, like um, one of my first teachers what he what what we had to do is we had to open the rolling doors the doors of our of our practice house and early in the morning and a lot of these like a lot of homeless people would just come and kind of just come to the door and kind of sit in our house and our practice was to do compassion practice literally while do, do our meditation do our breath practice while kind of homeless people were just kind of walking in and out of our house early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So out of the box practices. In essence, what what we were doing, which is really the foundation of any kind of personal growth and spiritual growth work is to kind of obliterate all of our concepts of how life is supposed to be. Right. All of our conditioning. It's our conditioning and our concepts of how life is supposed to be. That's what causes suffering. So conditioning around how you're supposed to eat, how you're supposed to sleep, how you're supposed to love, how you're supposed to have sex, how rich you're supposed to be, who you're supposed to be with, how life is, where you're supposed to live, all of these concepts. And so when we obliterate all those, those conditionings and those programs, we're really left to create life in, in the way that you know, a spontaneous creation in life and how, how, what we choose. 
And that's a really, you know, powerful way to live as opposed to not having life the way that we were told or we were programmed it was supposed to be. And that can include the example I made of the man who was raised by a single mother where all his masculine was repressed. That was a conditioning too. So that mm-hmm. when he got older, he thinks, oh, I'm supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to not be outspoken and powerful and, and be expressive. I'm just supposed to be quiet and demure and, and, and you know, uh, please people and make people happy, right? This as, as an example. Yep. And so in men's work, this is why it's so damn powerful is because they now have an opportunity to break free from those conditionings and to have an experience of something other than how they think it's supposed to be. Right. Um, you've mentioned uh, sex and intimacy a lot. And, and how big a part of that was your practice over overseas and then um, back mm-hmm. here? I mean, obviously it's a big part of stereotypically a part, big part of, you know, men's focus. Um, yeah. So how does, like, what have you learned there and, and what are some of the things mm-hmm. that guys miss that, that you often help them with? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you're asking these really big questions. We could, yeah. We could probably focus on that one for. Um, I mean, we could say our core, our core wounding is around our sexuality. Right. Mm. So men are as part of our male programming, our training, um, you know, what do you know that men are taught about sex through, through friends, through society, uh, you know, through just through osmosis of being a kid growing up, uh, what is, you know, what are some of the core things that we're taught as, as boys about sex? You are you asking me or is that it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Let's do that. So, yeah. you know, I grew up, um, my, my father was always working, so he wasn't around much. Uh, my mother, you know, I was one of five kids, so she was always, you know, dealing with kids or whatever. But um, I remember first learning a little bit about sexuality and things like that when uh, I was playing with a neighbor down the street and there was this like dirt track that we would ride our bikes around and stuff like that. And um, we found this shoebox with a bunch of Playboy stuff in it. And the neighbor who the, the kid that used to bully me, uh, apparently his mom was like a playmate or something like that. So they had all these playboys. And so, um, you know, I started to learn a little bit about it from there. And then, you know, of course this is pre-internet of course, you know, and, and so HBO, yeah, HBO was, you know, how was, about Victoria's secret? Well, Victoria's Magazine. secret was a little bit later. Like I, that was probably high school and college for me. So, Victoria's Secret. I was like, I can't believe this is just being sent out in the mid. Like, this is way better than. <laughs> I mean, that was my. I, I was so happy to see that when I got to see that magazine thing. That well, was, that and also the uh, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. This like is it true. was, yeah. You know that was and the stuff that they got away with publishing. I was like, how this is you know this is porn basically. It's you know women with wet t-shirts and like you know that's that's a big part of where my sexuality was learned. Um, I did have the proverbial conversation with my dad, the birds and the bees conversation. Mm. Um, most of which I kind of already knew he was, you know, he was funny. He was a little awkward about it. Um, you know, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but later on I found out that he was gay. And so there was, there was probably some disconnect there as well, mm. just sexuality wise. Um, 
but yeah, I probably just learned through friends. Uh, well, for example, like, well, yeah, for example, what, what is one of the things we're taught when we're young? We're taught, uh, oh, we have sex with as many women as you can. That, that means you're a man, right? Well, you know what? Um, Here's what's funny. I was just going to say, because I grew up in a, in a religious context, it mm-hmm. was, for me, it was much more of uh, one woman, you know? Um, and I okay, was very, that, and then also the influence that I, that the shadow influence that I got from my parents, because my father was at the time a closet homosexual, there was not a lot of um, intimacy. There was, there was, you know, maybe um, my mother told me one time that they had a working relationship. And, uh, and I remember hearing that going, fuck that. Like I want deep intimacy. I want connection. I want fun, passion, et cetera. And, uh, and I think from that point on, my intention was really focused on, I want to find one person to experience all of life with. And so yeah. I did, I did something very similar to you. I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart and, um, had a very long, marriage until we didn't i've been divorced 22 years by the way (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i've had a partner um, a beautiful partner now for the past 10 years yeah um so anyway i i I learned i I think through a religious context too about spirituality there's a lot of shame around sure Um, absolutely you get a lot of men in the work that have a lot a lot of that religious shame around around sex and so shame around masturbation right how are we taught to masturbate when we're young well we're, we're not taught we're, we're not. you know we do it in secret we do it in hiding we do it as fast as we can so that nobody finds us yeah i mean i remember being in the bathroom when i was a teenager you know doing that masturbating and then you know one of my brothers hey let me in there and then like, ah, ah, you know having total trauma shot total in panic. my body <laughs> and so that's just not like a fleeting thing that happens that's actually right. trauma in the body yeah so if we know that sexual energy is the most powerful force in the universe, that it's the force that creates, it's our creative, it's our creative energy, it's our life force energy. Right. When our sexual energy, de- you know, is 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 diminished, our vibrancy is diminished. Right. I mean, through the yogic lens, again, this is through through the Eastern lens. Our our life force power is in, in the yogic tradition is called ojas. Ojas is our it's like the oil in the lamp. It's like your, your vitality in your body. When you get older, you know, that decreases and decreases and your, you know, this is your libido decreases, your vitality decreases. And so our sexual energy is our vitality. It's our creativity. It's our manifestation power. It's our, you know, it's when a beautiful woman walks into the room and she's just radiant, she just walks in, she's not doing anything. She's just glowing in her beauty. That's her sexual power. That's kind yeah. of you know, flowing through as opposed to, you know, maybe we'll say someone who's really repressed, diminished, they don't have any kind of relationship to their, their inner sexual power. And, and, you know, that doesn't, it's not radiating through. And so my point is our sexual energy is our, is our life force potential. So when you have this powerful energy, our, our sex, our sexual energy, and then what basically happens is we have all these wounds that happen as a kid, we get beat up by the, by the bully at school. We get put down by our mother or father or a teacher. And so then we take our wounds and our traumas. And what happens is when our sexual energy comes online, when we're a teenager, our lack of self-esteem or being the laughing stock on the playground or whatever your issue is, gets plugged into your sexuality. Now you have what we call sexual kink because you're plugging in your wounds into this, you know, when you come online at about 12, 13, 14, 
And so this is what we call like eroticizing our wounds and why guys get hooked on porn or why they get, you know, kind of hooked on different kinks, sexual kinks or fantasies. So our sexual fantasies are directly linked to how our, how we came, we were onboarded into our sexuality. And so when we have no clue about any of this, we have no intimacy with our sexuality. We've never talked about our sexuality. Even men who, and, and women too, this is rampant. Men don't even know that they have, they don't, they know that they have a penis, they go pee with it and they have sex with it. But it's just this appendage is kind of hanging there. How, how could you have a deep intimacy with another when you're not in relationship with yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's inter- It's so interesting. Like, you, you know, you talked about the panic uh, when you were younger masturbating and it's like how that directly translates into the bedroom as, as an adult. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. and hold it and being tense and tight. Um, and, but then even perhaps more interestingly, how that also translates, like you were saying to life and how, you know, when it's, when it comes time to stand up in front of the classroom and give a talk, how the tension, how you get tense, you know, um, when you go in for the job interview, when you go, uh, yeah, go up to the girl that you're interested in. It's that same thing repeating itself over and over and over again. Yeah. So I guess my big question to you at that point is like, how do you, I've got two young kids and a boy who's just entering into this stage. What's a healthy way to, to usher in um, men and maybe even women too. I don't know if you have knowledge there as well, but, but specifically for young boys that are growing into manhood, what are, what are some healthy things that Parents yeah, can think great about question. to help usher that in. Great question. I mean, first, I just, I just want to state it in just kind of really simple terms, and that is our sexuality is, is the breeding ground for neurosis, but it's also the breeding ground for wisdom. Hmm. And so it really requires an, an intimate connection to our sexuality. So, for example, and I, I want to talk about the question about kids, but I think it's important to just give a little bit more context okay. on this. Um, we just had a men's practice group a few days ago and one of the guys in the group, he's just a regular everyday dude, regular guy. I think he works in in carpentry or construction or something. Um, and what he knows about sex is, you know, you go, go to bed with your wife and you, you know, you have intercourse and you know, make sure that she orgasms and then you orgasm and that's it. You know, that, that's, that's, that's sex, right? And, but what happens for him in sex is because of how he was wounded, how he was conditioned and programmed as a kid, he gets really insecure about being too strong, being too pushy um, in, in his sexual life. And his wife really wants him to be more directive in their sexual life. And so there's this constant uh, issue. They don't talk about it because it's too painful for him. He doesn't have the language. He doesn't, he's not educated or trained in this area. And so he feels really insecure. He gets triggered. He plays small and then he loses his erection a little bit. And his wife goes, it's okay, honey. It's just, it's okay. It's not a big, so then he just lives in this kind of reality of being sexually wounded, sexually repressed. And the, the, the polarity and the relationship is not how he wants it. It's not how his wife wants it, but he's just kind of stuck in it. That's just Mm -hmm. the way things are. Right. Yep. And so this is again, the idea of 
um, our sexuality is the breeding ground for neurosis. And so his neurotic tendencies, or we could say his unhealthy habits, play out really, really strong in his sexual life. And so through having a deeper understanding of, about this, we were doing some practice. I won't tell you exactly, but we were doing some <laughs> practice in the group. And it was just something as simple for him to bring awareness to just bring awareness to the lower part of his body into his into his groin area just bring your awareness right down there right now and actually just take a breath into that area so what does this do it immediately pulls him out of his head his analytical mind his intellectual mind trying to problem solve which is our typical way men relate to things right and it takes him out of his head and it brings him into his body and he immediately then this had access to a little bit more strength inside of himself. I mean, I know this is such a small thing I'm talking about and maybe for some guys it's like, what, you just breathe, you take your breath in there? But yeah, actually that's what you do because it's breaking your habitual tendency of, of how men operate, right? The problem solving. So this is at the very sim most simplistic level, this is what we might call embodiment work, bringing your awareness into your body, especially for men, bringing it into their sexual power into their groin area, breathing and, and rooting and grounding in there. I mean, you can do it right now. What does it do for you? We can do it right now. Come sitting upright, mm -hmm. putting your hands on your lap, breathe down into the lower parts of your body, relax your, your awareness, meaning just become wide open and aware right now. Feel yourself become wide open like the sky but while maintaining awareness in your lower body without the need to fix or do anything. If there's just a simple practice that men can do, it's just that, it's just breathing, feeling yourself as being wide open and bringing your awareness down to your lower, your lower centers. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things- How was that I, for you? <laughs> I, it's, I, I've done, I've been doing a lot more breath work and so it, it's, it feels very grounding to me. Um, yeah. But, um, uh, one of the things I was going to say is that to me, sex is such a heightened experience when you think of somebody's life um, that there's, it's, it's an opportunity for great healing. If you bring some of the knowledge that you're talking about, you bring some of that awareness because I find that uh, the deepest learning is experiential and then, and then to obviously do it enough to where it becomes fully embodied as opposed to reading a book or listening to this podcast Absolutely. where you go, Oh, that's interesting. It's, and it's an aha. It's no, an you're right. Thing, right. You're Sex right. is, yeah. is very difficult to do solely in your head. Now, obviously people can be in their heads while they're having sex or whatever, but eat, but it's still a full body experience by the very nature of the act. So I find that it can be a great place for healing and that there's a lot of um, trauma there. So I think this kind of work, I agree with you. It's so uh, core to, especially man's everywhere else in his life, you know, so how he Absolutely. goes to bed, so he goes everywhere else. 100%. I mean, even something as simple as the idea of men are not, it's never a conversation. This can be related to the, to the, to the children question. We're not taught to um, kind of own our pleasure. In, in a healthy way, right? We are taught power, manipulation, control, be a man, be tough, be strong. We're taught that kind of unhealthy neurotic aspect. But what about something as simple as when you're with your partner, whether you're gay, straight, uh, you know, what, bi, whatever, whatever for you, 
just taking a moment to just get still, get quiet and really feel your partner and feel yourself at the same time, slow down, come into your breath, see what's present there for you, what's happening. Like you said, it's a phenomenal place for healing. So the example of the guy I just talked about that um, gets really insecure, he gets kind of shut down, he closes down, he collapses, he kind of gets armored and insecure when he's having going to have uh, sex with his wife. Something as simple as getting present with what's happening inside of your body while you're going to have sex. And if you're in an open enough relationship with your partner, you can say, hey, I just want to take a moment to like just kind of be with myself, be present. Because a lot of times I check out in sex, hon, and I don't want to check out today. I don't want to be checked out. I want to be really, really present for you and for myself. And that's just a really simple but powerful way to, to, to heal, to grow, because you're no longer ignoring all the stuff that's, that's happened to you and throughout your life. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a good neutral ground too, because I think it, to me, it's very, um, it's understandable why I think a lot of men fall into that same pattern that you're talking about where they maybe shut down and play small because we're just inundated right now in our culture with uh, men are abusive. The patriarchy is oppressive. Uh, women have been raped one out of every, we constantly hear how damaging men are to women. And I think a lot of guys internalize that and that carries into the bedroom and it would seem very counterproductive uh, or I'm sorry, counterintuitive for a man to be aggressive, for a man to be dominant, for a man to be, um, you know, masculine and intentional. Whereas women are sitting there going, they're, they're dying for that. I mean, we're yeah. both, we both are. We're both wanting to be who we actually are from a spiritual sense, from a practical sense, from a biological standpoint. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, it's all in one of my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to talk about what you're bringing up now. And, and, and I feel like we're skipping over the, the, the question about raising, um, right. Raising conscious children. Well, I mean, look, there's, there's so many different methodologies. I have a three and a half year old son. I also have a 27 year old son. Yeah. Big difference there. Quite a gap. Uh, my, tw my 27 year old son, I didn't have any tools. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't have any deep training 20, almost 28 years ago. Um, I was loving father. I mean, I love the kid, you know, beyond anything, but I had no knowledge, no understanding or training. And so, there's one thing which is raising a conscious boy and you know also then raising a conscious girl um and then there's then there's just raising conscious children um i love the rye parenting uh technique rie which was created by magda gerber i think about 40 years ago which a lot of um schooling and parenting styles are based off of ra raising a conscious autonomous uh, human being uh, that you honor and treat this, you know, the same as you would an adult teaching them emotional literacy, teaching them to be in touch with their own emotion, having community, having language, respecting them. I mean, these kind of basic parenting, uh, I, modern parenting ideas of how to raise a healthy human being. Um, and then as far as teaching that to boys, you know, how to raise a conscious boy. Well, I mean, all the things we're talking about, you know, like for example, I ask my son, you know, how, how are you feeling when, and when he gets upset, I, I'm not perfect, but my highest intention is always to allow him to be in his emotion, never try and shut it down. Like I was told, how dare you get angry? 
right? No, if he gets angry, he's allowed to get angry. That's, mm -hmm. his, that's his birthright. Like he's a human being, he's allowed that. And so, and then specifically in regards to sexuality, you know, as he gets older, you know, to continue to teach him, you know, through different lenses um, uh, around healthy sexuality, honoring, you know, what feels good for you. And, um, you know, when the time comes, when he's old enough to begin to share with him more around sexuality, you know, I know that some parents, it's very common for little boys to play with their penis. And a lot of parents, for example, they shut that down. They say, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. No, of course we do. We let, we let, we let a boy explore himself. This is part of our humanness. And so without giving you a ton of specific things that, that you might do, I think it just begins with an intention to raise a whole human and, you know, integrated human being and having that intention to not pass on your sexual shame and all your sexual programs and how sex and your sexuality is supposed to be, right? not mm -hmm. passing those things on and having awareness like, Oh, wow. I just, for example, um, you know, telling a kid, Oh, that's not some honey. That's not something we do in public. You have, you know, just go in the bathroom if you're going to touch yourself, you know, little, little things like not having an awareness of what conditionings we're passing on to our kid. Well, sure. I mean, obviously th that's the balance though. Cause obviously I I'm presuming you're not advocating to touch yourself in public, but like where, where is the, where is the, the balance between providing guidelines versus, uh, you know, shaming somebody or, or, you know, I, I think that you people. just, I think that's exactly right. That's, that's, that's you, you gave the answer is yeah. being able to see the difference between boundaries and, and shaming. And then even the boundaries that you're creating for your child, um, you know, where, where are those boundaries coming from? Are they coming from, your own fear from your own wounding from your own conditioning. Um, I think this is an important area for any parent to study and to, and to, you have to study parenting, just like mm -hmm. you have to study yourself. We're not given a, a book on how to master ourselves, Right. We're not yep. given a, so if you want to learn how to be a good parent, you have to study it. For sure. I think my intention with my children and, and I know I don't always hit this mark, but is to establish that initial base of trust, which comes through communication and uh, through authenticity, letting them know when I'm, you know, when I feel like I'm failing them or what can I do to be better as a dad or whatever, but also letting them know that I am the authority. I'm, I'm their guide. I'm pointing them in the right direction as best as I can. Yeah. Um, but it's such a different world right now with our kids and technology. Sure and is, man. Yeah. I come, I let both of my children know. So once, once I've established that base of, of trust, I let them know when it comes to technology, because in my head as a parent, I go, there's no way I'm going to be able to police this whole thing. They're, they're going to be at a friend's house. They're going to be somewhere else. They'll be in, you know, I'll be out running an errand. Like they just have access to technology, plain and simple. Yeah. Um, so I let them know from a basis of trust. I said, look, there are things that are out there that, once you see them, you cannot unsee. And I said, I know you're curious, but trust me that you have time to learn all this stuff. And that when you, if you go exploring and you see something that you, that you can't unsee, like that can be an issue that you're, it might cause longer term pain than the immediate. It's pretty important. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty important. Yeah. I mean, again, it's the same thing around studying, like how to work with the whole technology thing. Like this is the nightmare of so many, even conscious parents, I see blogs, I see people talking about this all the time. It's the hardest, it's the most difficult thing. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I also just, I wanted to come back to you and touch on um, the confusion in the world for, for men, especially for boys on how to be in the world, yes. how to be in, how, how to be in the world, how to be with, with women, let's say in the workplace, how to be with, with women in, in the dating world um, because of the changing times, the gender power balance is shifting. It's been shifting for, you know, with good reason. And so now men are kind of in this wonky period of not knowing how to be. And so that's part of what I'm also, you know, my intention is in teaching my child and how to be, you know, one of the most simplest things that's exciting for me is to teach my son how to be in presence, which is one of the foundational practices that we teach men. Uh, You cut out for just a second. How, Oh, are you still there? I'm here. Yeah, I just turned okay. off my camera first. Okay, good. Uh, how do you teach him presence? Like, what do you? Uh, I teach him something very simple, which is just to breathe and just to be That's aware right. of his surround to to be aware of his surroundings, to feel the world around him. And sometimes I put it in terms of like, if you were, you know, if you were living out in a tribe in nature, you know, and you were looking out to make sure that there weren't any bears or wolves out there, out out. You would, you would just kind of stand, stand there and you'd just sense things. You'd have, a, you'd sense like, how is everything out in nature right now? Like you're out there to make, to see if there's any wild animals that are coming near your tribe or near you and you're sensing and you're breathing and you're sensing something as simple as that, teaching him how to be present, you know, mm. which going into this deeper conversation, which I don't know that we're going to go into, but what, what is, what is the masculine? And what is feminine? Like this whole confusion and misunderstanding around that. Um, and if there's one thing that we could say that the ma- that the masculine is a quality or trait of the masculine, which is very common in men's work for for guys who haven't heard this before, and that is the idea of presence, mm-hmm. awareness, or presence or consciousness. We could say, mm-hmm. and that's a very simple thing we could teach our kids. It's a very simple thing to teach men and it changes men's life. Just that one practice that we just did breathing and feeling and sensing getting really uh, alert in our presence is a really powerful practice. Yeah, for sure. And it's crazy how it's hard to pinpoint what exactly that is per se, but like you can see men who are present versus ones like we just instinctively know, Oh, they're in their head or they're not, they're disconnected from us or I'm talking to them and they're nodding, but something's playing in their head. They're not really fully present versus uh, any human being, man or woman, who's just fully present. It's like, we know it when we see it. We, there's an energy there. It's, it's wild, but it's hard to well, physically point to. I don't know how much time you want to talk, but we, we, could, we could spend a couple minutes kind of teasing out some of the ideas around I'd love us. to do that if you're, if you're okay time-wise. Sure. Okay, so... This is the most simplistic teaching and it's the, I think it's one of the most important things. I explain it almost in every class that I teach because uh, it it gives us, it gives men a different context for how to view themselves, how to view other men, how to view this whole idea of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a masculine man. So the first and most important thing to understand is that when I'm talking about this, it's, it's in no way, shape or form prescriptive you don't have to be any kind of way to be a man you don't have to be any kind of you don't have to be any kind of way to be masculine so it's not prescriptive this is not a box for like if you want to be a masculine man you have to act this way this is not what i'm talking about 
masculine, we could say has certain qualities and traits to it. There's certain qualities and traits. There's certain agreed upon qualities and traits. Masculinity is not inherently toxic. There's only toxic men, right? So the same with femininity, they're just qualities and traits and we can choose to practice what these qualities and traits are not, not based on a prescription or how we have to be. So that's the first most important thing. I never mm -hmm. tell a guy, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a masculine man, you have to do these things. It's, it's more like if there's an area in your life where you feel challenged, if there's an area in your life that you want to shift, change or transform, here's a context for you to practice with to help you shift out of those habitual ways. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that allows each man to define what that is for him. Uh, right. it, it's more like guidelines to me as opposed to a formula. Yes. And, and I will push back on this kind of, this kind of loose um, idea of what masculinity is. I was reading an article in GQ last month because the cover of GQ was the new masculine and Pharrell was on the cover of yeah. GQ. And he was talking about some of different people. They interviewed like 50 different people around masculinity. And one of the people was talking about that she was so happy. She was a gender neutral person and they, they were so happy that masculinity is being redefined just on what each person wants masculinity to be. And that doesn't, that's not really true. Like our masculinity and femininity is kind of like our palette as a painter. Orange is orange. Like if you're going to dip your paintbrush in orange, you're going to paint orange. That's going to elicit a certain response and a certain feeling. So we're that's not going to change metaphor. that. Yeah. And so masculinity, we could say is, it, is these agreed upon qualities and traits we could mm -hmm. say are, presence, um, uh, linearity, logicality. We could also say it's the capacity for direction, right? Yeah. Masculine is the capacity for direction. Men are monofocused and directed. Whereas femininity, we could say, is uh, sensing or feeling the capacity for pleasure. And so that's why women tend to be emotional beings because they have more sensing abilities they, their nervous systems are, are entrained they're actually different in their body how their nervous systems are compared to a man's nervous system mm -hmm. and so for most men that come into the work they are men that want to they choose to be masculine identified and they choose to work on their masculine when you work on your this doesn't mean that you ignore or repress your feminine this is but when you talk about masculine traits or qualities a masculine trait or quality is not nurturing. That's a feminine trait or quality. Mm -hmm. And so this is not to say that men shouldn't be nurturing and compassionate. Uh, duh, obviously, like right. you have to be, this is part of your humanity. Right. But through working on your healthy masculine, through looking at the ways and habits and your shadows and the way that you perceive reality and your habits and patterns, we then practice with these healthy masculine qualities or traits as a way to actually be more loving, compassionate beings, how to show up in our hearts and give our gift to the world and be more loving and create a better world. It's not, it's not there to, to be controlling and to manipulative and to be greedy and to, you know, right. command over others. So just to finish with this final point, if we look at some of the essential qualities or traits of the masculine, we could say it's directionality, we could say it's uh, decisiveness, right? What is, what is sexy to a woman when her man is really decisive? 
when a man is kind of wishy-washy and he's like, I, I don't know, hon, you kind of make, it's up to you, what, whatever. I'm talking in heteronormative terms now, but right. this could also be in, in a homosexual relationship. So through men looking at where they want to practice, it's an extremely liberating thing for them. And so one of the core foundational pieces that I teach over and over and over is presence. So the masculine is consciousness and everything that animates inside of that consciousness is the feminine. We could say in Eastern terms, we could say it's Shiva and Shakti, or we could say it's form. We could say it's mother nature, which is form and consciousness, which is the spirit of, 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 great spirit we could say it's spirit or consciousness right it's mother nature is energy it's forms it's it's a, a, a lightning storm or a hurricane that's mother nature that's feminine energy is movement it's light it's radiance it's dynamic and then the masculine we can say from kind of this eastern idea is consciousness or presence it's, it's the container right it's the walls mm -hmm. of the river are the masculine and then the bubbling moving energetic water is the feminine mm -hmm. and so through having a, a little understanding of the dynamic interplay of the masculine and the feminine not from a place of prescription or how you have to be but from a place of ah, what would feel good for me right now in interacting with my partner what would feel good right now in interacting with her to create you know a different intimacy a different relationship a, more, a healthier relationship more polarity in our sexual life that's what these tools are there for and so what you're talking about is the demonization of men or masculinity leaving men and, and you know, teenagers now kind of utterly confused in how to be in the world the idea is to understand these things and practice from the perspective of how can i create a better world how can i create more love how can i offer more love to the world how can i offer my gift with my heart into the world yeah um i love that i've just been just wrapped up a, a season of coaching middle school boys soccer and oh wow one of the things that we talk about to simplify it in terms that they can understand is backbone and heart and the wisdom to know when to use it and that sometimes sometimes um you know, as boys, we were gifted with that backbone energy, if you will, the, the strength, the clarity, the precision, uh, the, the rigidity when, when it's required to, to push through and achieve, uh, yeah. you know, go through obstacles. But we also have a heart that's soft and beating and connected and empathetic and compassionate. And so I, I bring that up to them as a framework for them to think about in what ways should I apply more backbone or in what way should I bring more uh, heart and then of course the the wisdom to to it's leverage great. Energy, it's so. great it's a, it's 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 a yeah it's a great frame it's been a helpful it's been a helpful thing because uh like my son gets it you know and i it, he's such a sweet boy uh and he's got such a great tender heart um but it's one of those things that i let him know like if you if you want to expand that if you want to give more of that into the world you got to develop your backbone because otherwise you're just going to get trampled <laughs> That's and, great, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to frame it. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, to me, it's one of the most important transitions right now is that, that, that boy to man transition, that, that teenage year. Um, so it's very important to me to get some clarity around that. So I appreciate your input on, on uh, the stuff. That's that we what we're doing, about. man. We're training men around the planet. We're training men, you know, in, in through our, our global community, our, our company, Men's Wisdom Work. 
Um, we're training men that are, you know, elect getting governors elected, men that are, you know, in the entertainment field, men that are, um, uh, you know, creating legislation around around the world, and they're getting trained in how to be whole, healthy, healed men, and then they're taking this kind of this way of being and they're bringing it into the world and affecting corporations they're affecting countries they're affecting you know people all over the world and so obviously starting with with kids and in, in training in this kind of ancient wisdom modern thought is so amazing and then also working with men that are already in positions where they're affecting you know they're impact makers in the world right and it's pretty radical to see men go through this education this learning not just this learning but you know our whole work is based in practice. It's all practice-based, meaning doing practices that shift you. It's not just an intellectual process. Yeah, and I want to just uh, tag on to that, this idea that done properly and everything that you're talking about in my mind really does that, that blesses women. It uplifts women. It frees women. It uh, allows women to be more their full selves with protection. Um, it provides a safe container that you were talking about for them to be safe, to be completely open and free in their minds, which I have found even the badasses of badasses of women uh, still have that desire to be completely disconnected and let go and, and to be their full feminine selves. Um, so this is not about a men taking over the world kind of thing, because I know some people no, it's quite, get screwed quite, up with that. It's quite the, yeah, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> um, so uh, for those that are interested to find out a little bit more about you, where can they go uh, online? Yeah, men's wisdom work, um, M-E-N-S-W-I-S-D-O-M work, menswisdomwork.com. I also still have my website, zotbaraka.com. That's my personal site. But men's wisdom work is where we house our men's coach training program, where we have a pretty radical six-month out-of-the-box, very unique training for men and how to be men's coaches, doing kind of this deep inner work with embodiment and you know, with the, with the mindfulness context, um, it's pretty, you know, pretty unique training for, for coaching. Is that online have, or is that, in, do you have to be in person? That, that is both online and in person. There's, okay. there's, there's, um, it's a six month training. The next one starts in February. So for men that have an interest in men's work and want to, whether that's lead a men's group or whether you're in leadership and you want to bring some of these skills into your leadership skills in your company or organization, or you're a man that is really interested in leading men's work or in being a men's coach, this training is, is um, very comprehensive and intensive and very thorough. Uh, it's a six month training. It starts in February and it's online. And then there's an in-person aspect uh, toward the end of the program. Gotcha. Um, and then we have a, we have a lot of different things that we offer our, our online program. It's a seven week online program. It's actually, happening right now. Uh, the next one will probably be in April, but, um, and then we have, everything's on the site, you know, whether you want to be on an online men's group, we have an international online men's group. It's just an opportunity for men to kind of dip their toe into men's work, but it, it is online. So there's guys in Ireland, there's guys in Lebanon, there's guys all over the world that are oh, cool. just joining online and being able to, to have a support network of, of brothers that are, you know, doing this transformational work. Um, uh, and that, that'll all be on men's wisdom work. Fantastic. Yeah. Zot, this has been amazing. I, um, would love to follow up and have some more conversations with you. Um, time permitting, I know you're busy, so um, maybe we can schedule something, but yeah, 
Hopefully um, that uh, you're that there's little glitches today that you're able to piece this together. We'll 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 take care of it in post. Okay. But, All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Zat. Thank you very much for having me, man. All right. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Peace.